After 10 years in the Navy, Randy Wimmer was looking forward to the routine working hours of a contractor position to start a family. After learning what he calls the contractor commandments, he enjoyed being a billable government contractor and would have been content in a career supporting Defense Department contracts, but his growing family was starting to outpace his income, which sparked Randy's interest in entrepreneurship and ultimately led to starting the Government Contracting Academy. Coming up next on Veteran on the Move. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. Navy Federal Credit Union takes the legwork out of saving and investing with a variety of choices. Check out Navy Federal's supercharged rates at NavyFederal.org slash save and invest. All right, we're talking with Navy veteran Randy Wimmer, founder of Government Contracting Academy. So Randy spent uh, about 10 years in the Navy before we get to talking about business, uh, government contracting, and entrepreneurship. Take us back. Tell us what you did in the Navy. Okay, uh, class of 1991 at the United States Naval Academy. Uh, really quick story about the Naval Academy. Um, I didn't know anything about it. My, my father was a retired Navy chief. And he didn't know anything about, you know, the officer corps either, other than they, they weren't any damn good, quote unquote, you know, from a salty chief. And he somehow or another, he thought all officers either came from OCS, uh, the 90 day wonder school, as he called it, and, and or the, uh, the Naval Academy completely missed that most of the officer corps coming from, you know, ROTC, you know, I guess he forgot that simple fact. And he says, Oh hell, Randy, you should go to the Naval Academy. You're, you're better than most of those officers I had to work with. You know, so sure enough, you know, I, I I applied to the Naval Academy, not realizing that, you know, it is actually a a pseudo competitive school. And the only reason reason why I applied is because I didn't know that. So ignorance was bliss. So I, uh, I applied to the Naval Academy. I spent four years there and then I'm off into uh, the surface warfare community where I started out um, in the amphibious Navy. I was on an LSD that was older than I was. And, um, and then from there, Gator I went Navy. to uh, Naval Postgraduate School, picked up a bachelor's degree in operations research and then got to a uh, got into a frigate um, at the 10 year mark. I. I, you know, I, I had to get out. You know, I was married at the time. My wife and I, we were expecting, and it was tough enough to kiss the wife, you know, goodbye for six months at a time. I just didn't think I had the, I didn't think I had the backbone to be able to do that, you know, kissing a wife and, you know, a, a child behind uh, at leaping. So um, I got out. Thank God there are people who are able to do that. I just wasn't tough enough to do it. So I got out at the 10 year mark. So that was my, my 10 year naval career. Yeah. Uh, active duty. Yeah. And, and so were you planning on getting into government contracting or how did that happen as part of your transition? Oh, absolutely not. I had sour grapes. <laughs> uh, I thought like, you know, here I am, I'm, I'm at the pointy end of the spear. And the last thing I want to do is get into government contracting because, you know, all the stigma is associated with it. You know, right. I don't want to be in an empty suit. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be a contractor. <laughs> so it was the worst. And I was, I even told my wife, I said, I'll do anything other than being a government contractor. Uh, it's kind of funny. I always end up eating, uh, eating my, my, my words there. Uh, but I was also getting more money, offered more money to be a government contractor. And my wife wanted to settle in uh, Northern Virginia where her parents settled. She was a Navy brat. And that's where her, her family settled um, after her father's uh, naval career. So we're in Northern Virginia. We're so damn house poor. We can't see anything. 
uh, you know, C-straight and yeah. uh, government contracting positions were offering more money than non-government contracting uh, positions were for me. So I, I, you know, swallowed my pride. I took the government contracting job. And that's what kind of got me in that whole community. Yeah. So um, ultimately, you started uh, learning government contracting. Um, you refer to, in your bio, you refer to the uh, commandments of government contracting. <laughs> yeah, the government, to, well, I, there are really only three commandments, in my opinion. But, uh, but yeah, that, I started out as, you know, as a billable uh, government contract employee. And there are certain things you kind of got to learn. The, the very first thing you got to learn or unlearn is, is that you're no longer in uniform. You are no longer responsible for the mission. You're in a support role. And that's, that was honestly the hardest thing for me to learn is, is that it is not on me now. Um, because, you know, I, if, you're, uh, if you're an officer in the Navy, you know, you, you walk into the room and you're the person responsible you, automatically. You know, just any room you walk into, boom, you're the one responsible. Um, and you take ownership of it because that's your job to do that. But in the federal government contracting industry, that is not the case. We are in a support role where we are supporting our federal government and sometimes active duty military uh, customers in the execution of their mission. They're the ones who are responsible for it and we're in a support role. Mm -hmm. So one, you have to unlearn that one. That's the first commandment is you're not the guy in charge. And then the second thing is, is you don't have to agree with them either because it's his mission. It's his vision. You are supporting him. So it's okay that you don't agree with what he's doing. That's, you know, who cares? Your job is to support him in the execution of what he thinks is best. And then the final thing is, is uh, you got to work at the same pace as your customer. And that's if you're supporting a, um, a, a caffeinated uh, individual who's running at 100 miles an hour getting things done, you need to kick it into high gear. However, and I, this is where I got to be kind of honest, uh, most government employees, they're somewhere between the speed of boring and, and comfortable. <laughs> you know, that that's the speed that you, you kind of got to move. And a lot of that is not because they're quote unquote lazy or anything like that. It's, it's just the nature of the government. Nothing moves fast. And, you know, it's the, <laughs> it's the, the leader of the free world. They have to be right better, you know, more frequently than they have to be fast. Right. And there's a lot of processes, a lot of checks and balances to make sure that the government, the federal government, as much as we complain about it, does things mostly right. And that by de design, and that's why they have all the checks and balances in it. Awesome. We're going to take a quick break. Be right back. If you're still active duty or working for someone else, starting an online business is one of the best vehicles to start your entrepreneurial venture. There's a lot of options out there, whether it's e-commerce, affiliate marketing blogs, chat GPT, podcasting, or whatever you choose, you're going to need a website. Hostinger has everything you need to thrive online. Launch a website or online shop in minutes without technical or design skills. It's only $2.99 a month, including a free domain name. It's ridiculously easy to use. Launch a WordPress website in one click or use Hostinger's drag and drop website builder. They have over 150 beautiful and fully customizable templates for e-commerce, blogs, portfolios, landing pages. And you can create a free logo in seconds using Hostinger's AI logo maker powered by ChatGPT. There's never been a better time to start an online business. Right now, you can get 78% off website and hosting plans. Plus, 
two months free, which equals get everything for just $2.99 a month. So check out hostinger.com slash veteran and use promo code veteran when you check out for an extra 10% off. That's hostinger.com slash veteran and use promo code veteran. Managing your money in a military family can be hard because of competing goals like growing savings versus paying down debt or managing everyday expenses versus having fun. Or what about those unexpected expenses with vehicles, deployments, PCS moves that always come along? I've been a Navy Federal member since 1990, and I've used just about every financial product that Navy Federal has in those 33 years. And I can tell you that Navy Federal Credit Union takes the legwork out of saving and investing with a variety of choices. If you want to supersize your earnings on savings, they're offering some of their highest rates in 10 years. And whether you choose savings or investments, you can make it easier by automating. Plus, their website has articles, tips, and tools that make complicated subjects easier to understand. Check out Navy Federal supercharged rates at NavyFederal.org slash save and invest. Saving products are insured by NCUA. Investment options are available through Navy Federal Investment Services and are not insured by NCUA. If you're getting tired of having to say what or huh over and over again, or having to turn the TV up really loud, you need to check out MD Hearing. MD Hearing was founded by an ENT surgeon who saw how many of his patients needed hearing aids but couldn't afford them. He made it his mission to develop a quality hearing aid that anyone could afford. My good friend Jeff, who's a retired police officer from upstate New York, had a chance to try both the Neo and the Volt hearing aids from MD Hearing. He wore each of them for over a week and loved both of them as the sound quality was as good or better than his current hearing aids. His current hearing aids cost him over $7,000, but MD Hearing's new Neo model costs over 90% less than clinical hearing aids, and the Neo is MD Hearing's smallest hearing aid ever. It fits inside your ear, and no one will even know it's there. So how do they make their hearing aids for a fraction of the cost of a clinic hearing aid? Since about 95% of the people who need a hearing aid only require a few settings, MD Hearing simplified the need for certain components not needed by most people. Plus, they cut out the price-hiking middleman. So if you want MD Hearing's smallest hearing aid ever, go to mdhearing.com and use promo code VETERAN to get their new buy one, get one for $149.99 each offer when you buy a pair. Plus, they're adding a free extra charging case, which is $100 value, just for listeners of the Veteran on the Move podcast. So head to mdhearing.com and use your promo code VETERAN and get their new buy one, get one for $149.99 each offer when you buy a pair. Back talking with Navy veteran Randy Wimmer, founder of Government Contracting Academy. So, Randy, you eventually figured out the whole government contracting game, um, but eventually you got interested in the entrepreneurial side of things. How'd that happen? (laughs) Living in Northern Virginia is not easy. Uh, I I realized I was living hand to mouth. I was living paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. Uh, with a growing family, I thought like, man, I got to flip this around and get ahead of it. And I, I, I have a master's degree in operations research. So I, I actually took a very formal analytic approach to, to figure out how I could catch up, you know, financially. And, you know, it, it came down to real estate investment, you know, and or uh, launching a federal government contracting company. And I was no different than any other veteran that came out. And, and, and that's what I'd like to share, you know, with your listeners is, veterans, we are custom made, you know, to to launch federal government contracting companies. We have the best education, the best training, the most realistic, you know, the federal government, um, the DOD 
portion of that budget is that's like the the three thousand pound elephant in the room. It is the, the big piece of the budget, and we understand that mission. We understand the culture of it. Our Rolodex. You know, these people are all, you know, either still in uniform or out of uniform in the contracting industry. So we have the best Rolodex for that. Uh, so we have a lot of intangibles, plus our experience, our training, our network. You know, so it made a lot of sense that federal government contracting was the the, the perfect entrepreneurial avenue for, for a veteran. And um, I saw that and I, I started to pursue it. Uh, however, uh, this is what I thought. Now, this is how naive I was. I thought, well, I'll just pick up an MBA um, and learn how to do this do this federal government contracting thing. And I started shopping around for an MBA program that specialized in it. And there is not a single MBA program that I'm aware of that specializes in teaching you how to do business with the world's largest customer, the U.S. federal government. Okay. It's shocking, but true. And uh, so there's, there's nothing out there. So I had to, I launched my first company in 2003 and it failed miserably because I didn't know anything about federal government contracting. Uh, and the only way I could learn is, was to learn, you know, via on the job training. So I targeted positions where I could actually learn aspects of how to do business with the federal government contracting industry. So I do that for three years. You mean you, I mean you target, when you say you targeted positions, you mean you tried to get jobs doing specific things that you could learn those skills in? Absolutely. Like how to write a proposal. As an employee. I know how yeah, to write okay. a proposal. Uh -huh. So what I did is I got, you know, I took jobs in the corporate office of these federal, you know, these large federal government contracting companies so I could actually learn that skill set. Um, I didn't know how to do profit and loss. So I, you know, um, took a job with a small business to do that, uh, to, to figure out how to be a, a program manager or director, uh, leader of a business unit to be able to actually do profit and loss. I didn't understand the financials. I didn't understand any of those things, how to do the contract management piece. And I did that for three years. So my, <laughs> Uh, my my resume was looking pretty sketched there for a while because man I was I was changing jobs pretty frequently. Once I figured I got a skill set, I moved on to the next one. Mm -hmm. uh, the next skill set I felt like I needed to learn, and that's the best way to learn uh, is to jump in there and try. Because when you jump in there and try and you fail, you know you very quickly learn what you need to learn to be successful. And that's what happened in 2003. So I learned what I needed to learn. Uh, to be more successful. And then I relaunched and um, I relaunched um, in 2007 or actually at the end of 2006, I had three years of, of moderate success, um, but then I didn't know how to scale it. So I went out of business again and in 2010, I relaunched it yet again. So it was, it was my, my third try. And you know, the, the third try was the game changer for me. It seemed like Everything that I touched, you know, seemed to turn to gold at that point. Yeah, you, and you, you'd um, made all the mistakes at this point. You, you buddy, left with I, I stepped on every landmine. <laughs> I, I really did, Joe. You know that's so, a that's an important point in entrepreneurship. Like especially coming out of the military, you think I'm good, I'm good, I'm going to roll right in, and everything's going to go perfect. Because, well, that's what we. That, that's a, a lot of people be. who are coming from the military had that kind of success. Yeah, you know, and yeah. it's. You know, it was great. It was those. It was the leadership, and uh, that got a lot of people through. Um, but at the end of the day, when you're learning something completely new, completely foreign to you, 
What you have to do is you have to bake in mistakes as part of the process, and you learn from those. One mistake, uh, you can learn more from one mistake, and you can learn faster than if you try to prevent the mistake. And uh, it's just just go ahead and step on the landmine. You'll recover from it and just press on. And the thing is, like, entrepreneurship is a, is a process, um, much like government contracting is a process. And yeah. so you can take a widget and run it through the entrepreneurial process on the, coming out on the other side. If it's a failure, maybe your process wasn't completely where it needed to be, or maybe the widget was a bad idea. But it, when you come out on the other end, you haven't, you haven't necessarily failed at entrepreneurship. You've actually learned, learned so much about the process that what you need to do is go back to the beginning and get another widget and run that one through the entrepreneurial process, a better process. Cause now it's the second yeah. time you've been through it. And with you, it took the, it took the third time. Three's a charm. The third <laughs> time you slow. went through the process, boom, you had it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's it. You're right. It really did take that. Um, and I want to share also with your listeners there, Joe, is that the federal government contracting industry has got to be the one of the most forgiving and best industries for first time entrepreneurs. Um, most entrepreneurs fail because they guess wrong. They're, they guess what the customer wants and they guess uh, what they're willing to pay for it. And there's a whole bunch of guessing and customers are so unreliable. They will lie to you. You know, I, I, I'm packing on a few extra pounds and let's just say I'm at my office and I see all these people walking by to get their big boy burritos and um, they're getting their burgers and beer for lunch. And I'm thinking like, you know, like, Hey, I could lose a few pounds. And Hey, there's a lot of these other people could lose a few pounds. And I start asking people say, Hey, what do you think about healthier lunchtime, you know, options? And everybody was, Oh God, yeah, I'd love that. You know, otherwise I'm forced to eat these burritos all day, you know? And so, you know, I'm thinking, Hey, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm going to make a tofu and salad restaurant. And I'm going to have all this business because, you know, my customers telling me that they desperately need it. And they, it's obvious that they need it. They need a healthier, you know, option for lunch. So I, I make this, uh, this tofu and, and uh, salad restaurant and I launch it. And I watch all these people who just told me that they wanted a healthier option, continue to walk past my restaurant to go get those burgers and beers and burritos. <laughs> so about three months into this thing, if I'm not pivoting to make a bigger big boy burrito than the next guy, yep. I'm out of business. And, you know, so customers are really horrible. That, in my opinion, is the number one reason why most companies fail is because they guess wrong what the customer wants. Yeah. With federal government contracting, there is no guessing. None at all. I call it playing pin the tail on the donkey. You know what the don uh, <laughs> the donkey is the federal government, and they tell you what they need, and they tell you where to stick it, and <laughs> they say we need a tail that looks exactly like this, and you know where it goes. And what you do is you write a proposal. It's your tail that comes closest to what they need, and boom, you stick it on there. And the best thing about that is, is you're not spending all of that money launching a restaurant, creating a product, all of that stuff. You know, what you're doing is you're printing out a document from your printer, Yeah. you know, which is your tail. And you don't really have to start investing any money until after you win the contract. So it's, uh, I think and, it's one of the and best. they're um, always going to pay. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> I, I tell people if the, if the, if the government doesn't pay, 
you know, you should immediately forget about that contract and start looking for a sharp stick and a cave <laughs> because, you know, if the federal government can't pay their bills, you're, you're going to have a global economic meltdown where yeah. people are going to be living in caves. Yeah. So, um, so, all right, I got a question. Yeah. If, is there one place to go to see what, like, for example, um, maybe for lack of a better idea, I'm a podcaster. Oh, is the government really looking for podcast services? Uh, yeah, actually, they might be. Where yeah, can well, you, you know go what, um, and do an accurate <laughs> there search? There are marketing and, services. Yeah, yeah. Where can you go and find, narrow it down to something that specific? Is there okay. one place to go or is it all over the place? Because it, it's, uh, it's called SAM.gov. And SAM stands for System for Award Management. So SAM.gov is a website. Uh, it does a lot of things. They've, they've, what they've done over the last 10 years, they've consolidated a lot of their major websites into SAM.gov. And um, you can actually search for opportunities. But let me tell you how many opportunities there are. Every single year, there's about $600 billion awarded to, um, to, to government contractors, uh, $600 billion. And the government has a small business set-aside program where they award uh, 23% of that $600 billion to small businesses in the form of prime contracts. Well, it gets even better. Um, they also realize that when they're building an aircraft carrier, that it's not fair that, you know, this one company gets, you know, 15 billion or whatever it is um, straight out and small businesses get none of it. So there's a second small business set aside goal. And that is that for, uh, for these large, massive full and open prime contracts that the awardee has to give 29.43% of the contract value uh, to small businesses in the form of subcontracts. It gets even better than that because within that small business set aside goal, they have individual set aside earmarks for women owned small businesses. They get a guaranteed 5% service disabled, better known small businesses. They get 3%. Now uh, 3% for service disabled, better known small business of eight uh, of 600 billion is $18 billion a year. And what's really crazy is, is that, there's about, you know, there's only seven. This is this is crazy. There's only seven of the 24 government organizations that fall within the the mandate of that small business set aside goal that actually meet all of their set aside goals. Really? That means that they're short. They're leaving money on the table for service disabled, better known small yeah. businesses, or women owned small businesses, or historically underutilized business owned small businesses, or minority owned businesses. Those are the four individual set asides, and. Um, only seven of 24 are meeting all those goals. That means that the remainder of those are leaving literally billions of dollars on the table because they can't find enough qualified businesses to take the earmark. That's seven companies out of 24 typically. That's what's it's seven government organizations like uh, oh. DOD. They don't meet their hub zone goals. Uh, HHS. They don't meet their service disabled, better known small business goals or the hub zone goals, okay, okay. you know, you, you keep on going through each one of those government agencies. And what you do is whatever set aside status that you may qualify for, you find the government agencies that have the, the, the most challenging time finding uh, appropriately qualified, you know, small businesses in that particular category and you target them. 
you hit them where they ain't. You know, you hit them where you get the least competition. Uh, for example, service disabled veteran and small businesses, we focus, you know, historically in the national security space. What you percent, start looking at federal government. What percent VA rating you got to be to be SDVOB? Zero. And now I want you to think about what I just said. You have a to have a zero percent rating. rating. That's you, right. If you have no rating at all, there's a difference between no rating at all and zero percent. That's correct. You have to have a disability letter. And what yeah. that means is basically they acknowledge that you say you have something wrong and they're saying it has zero percent impact to your life and well-being right now, but we're going to track it. And, um, you know, we acknowledge that you have something, but we believe yeah. it has zero. Because a lot of things are like at least 50% or 60% or 75%. It is zero. Wow. So if you're a better known small business, realistically, if you go through the process of filing for a disability claim, um, you're, you're going to get it, you know, so. Okay. Another quick question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, this is great. Time. How do you, what is the best way to get your business designated service disabled veteran owned? And the reason I ask, there's a lot of great programs out there to go through the qualification program to get that, to get that, uh, what would, what would you call it? To get that designation. designation. But there's also, you can, you can self-report too, right? With so well, they, they used to have a problem that? with self-reporting, and then what happened was, um, I would say it's probably around the two thir- you know, 2013, 2014. Yeah, they required you know CVE, which is a group within the VA, to uh, to certify you uh, because too many people were lying. You know, everybody was claiming you know service disability status, whether they were a veteran or not. You know, like how can you be a service disabled veteran if you're not even a veteran? You know, because there's a lot of that fraudulent activity going on. So now, and that's a good thing for for veterans is that there there is a control on it. The it's easy to get done. Um, they just recently changed it. Literally just a couple of months ago, it used to be used to be managed by uh, CVE, which is again part of VA. Now it, it transitioned over to the Small Business Administration. So all you got to do is just do a quick Google SBA, you know, SDVOSB application, and it'll walk you through the process. Again, it's all about the disability letter. You got to get your disability so letter. As long as you got the letter, it's just paperwork. Your, your, your company's should be, should get the designation, right? Because it is. Yep. some and of these programs make it seem like you got to, your company's got to qualify to all this different stuff. As long as you're the owner. Uh, well, that brings up another question. You have to be a 51% owner or a hundred percent owner? 51%. 51%. So the, the service disabled. Now you could have veteran, two, you could have two veterans, um, that are 50, 50, both yeah. disabled and both combined, you know, as long okay. as they're over 51%. So as long as somebody's got a zero rating or better that, or a combination of at least 51% of the company. Yep. That's it. And so how long is that form on the SBA? Because there are these programs where they're like, you pay a thousand dollars and you spend six months trying to go through the Don't, don't, don't pay. <laughs> don't, don't pay for this program. Okay. Getting, getting that set aside is easy. You just got to get the disability letter. And there's a lot of, don't try. And again, don't try to do that on your own either. Um, when I got my disability letter, I, I live in Northern Virginia and Fairfax County In Fairfax County. They have an economic development um, office. And one of them was to support veterans, you know, with business. And one of the functions that they did is actually help veterans submit uh, their service disability. Now you can go to, you know, they will put you in front of people who know how to file a disability application and don't do that by yourself. 
you know, oh, do yeah, the that whole with somebody thing. who knows how to do well, that. Well, theoretically, if you're if you've already gotten out or if you're on the process of getting out, you're going to go through that process and you should be getting help with that on the way. Now, of course, there's always people that don't. Yeah, I, I didn't do that. You know, I was an idiot. And um, <laughs> I thought like, hey, I got, I got nothing wrong with me. And then, you know, um, but then when you get in the business and you realize like, well, gee whiz, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of work going out in the service disabled, better known small businesses. And, and, you know, you just want that for the, you know, for the business piece of it. So the things that you were willing to to kind of like turn a blind eye to when you were leaving the military, you know, it really puts you at a disadvantage, um, you know, when you're competing for these for these small business set asides. Because, again, $18 billion every single year is earmarked for service disabled veteran and small businesses for prime contracts alone. That's not even talking about the subcontracting opportunities you get, but that's just, you know, prime contract alone. And again, out of the national security space is not that easy to find a service disabled, better known small business. And if you really want to put the odds in your favor, then what you can do is you can go out and you can get a corporate credential like ISO 9001 quality management system certified or ISO 27001 information security management system certified. Now, if you're an SDVOSB and you got one or two of those, uh, two of those credentials, you're now all of a sudden in like the top 30 companies in that whole category with an $18 billion earmark. Now, when That's you say not the- a bad position to be in. You say those two, those two, you know, I guess call them designations. ISO certifications. Certifications. Yeah. Is that one of them has something to do with um, IT management or? One, yeah. Uh, the ISO 27001 deals with information security management. Information security management. Is that mean, is that mean we know how to keep our stuff secure or you're bidding on things in the information security management? Well, the, the, the ISO, uh, ISO is a global organization and what they do is they have a whole bunch of think tanks and committees and they develop industry best practices. And these are globally accepted as business, you know, um, best practices. In fact, you know, government organizations will, will frequently pursue ISO certification because it's a hell of a great framework in order to, to mature your company. So, um, and when you're a small business, these professional certifications are so much easier to get because, you know, you don't need uh, to be doing it to take credit for it. You just need to have a policy or a process in place. And, you, you you know, to get ISO 9001 certified, you don't need to have revenue. You don't even need to have employees. But as long as you have a policy or a process in place, you know, for all your major business functions and all the programs that you need to be compliant with the standard, it is easy to get, you know, certified. And, you know, there's less than 1% of U.S. companies that have one ISO certification, and there's about 0.1% of U.S. companies in the United States that have two. So if you couple that, those corporate credentials with that set aside, you know, your competition, your effective competition, it's like the best lottery game in the yeah, world. You're the, you're the only one left standing. Yeah, yeah, it really is that what way. Are the, it, what are those designations so again? ISO? ISO 9001 is quality management. And then the other one is ISO 27001, which is information security management. You can't pick up a newspaper and not see a data hack 
uh, you know, data spillage, a ransomware attack, uh, a, you know, a cybersecurity. How difficult breach. is it to get one of those ratings? I mean, like, it is. is it it like- is actually really easy when you're ultra small to get those because, again, um, much of that's not going to be applicable to you yet. So you just need to have. You just need to. I, I, I'll give you the perfect example that I share with everybody. Uh, let's say the auditor asks you, says like, you know, hey Joe, how do you, um, how do you onboard your new employees? Well, you could say, well, we don't have any employees. It's just me, but I have a process here. This is my process of how I do it. And he's going to say, good job. You get a, you know, you get a smiley face, <laughs> you know, sticker on your hand. Yeah. And but let's just say you wait a, a few years and you got two hundred employees, and you're trying to get certified. Then he's going to come up to you and say, hey Joe, how do you how do you onboard your you know your your new employees? You can say, oh sir, we use the same process. And he says, okay, great. Let's go look at those 200 personnel records to make sure that they 100% comply with that checklist and they are 100% consistent with each other. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. There's a big difference. You do it when you're you know, small, one, you're kind of grandfathered in. Paperwork, and then the other one, yeah, you got, you know, months worth of work, just making sure all your personnel records are consistent. And so it's basically showing you have onboarding processes uh, yes, it's, yeah, there's certain standards processes. that you have to have for like ISO 9001 quality management system because it's a management system. You have to have a formal risk management program. You got to have a formal change management uh, program. You've got to have a document control system in place to where you know that when you're pulling a document out, it's the most current version and you're not using an outdated revision. You know, so there's certain things that that you have to have. Mm-hmm. But the rest of it is is what you feel like you need for your company to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Um, tell us. So, so tell us about Government Contracting Academy. What kind of details so, can so you give on that? So how do I get the Government Contracting Academy? I mean, I mean okay, you know, yeah. you've, you've established legitimacy. Okay. Tell us about okay. your academy. <laughs> so <laughs> we get so it. This you is, know what you're so talking about. I, what, what, so <laughs> let, let me tell you how I got the Government Contracting Academy. Um, again, I launched my first company in 2003. For about four years, nothing happened. Nothing. I, you know, I always had it on the side, and I was, you know, I was taking jobs to learn what I was supposed to learn because there's no training program out there. And uh, so it took four years just for me to be able to get a subcontract, you know, which was me, a one person, you know, subcontract. Then it was uh, from 2003 to 2010. It wasn't until 2010 that I actually got my first prime contract. And then it wasn't until 2003 that I finally wisened up and said, hey, I need some corporate credentials because a corporate credential is like a college degree, you know, on your resume. And when you lack a lot of experience, you have to have, you know, college degrees or certifications or or something to compensate for that. Uh It's just like that person who graduates high school and they want to become a high end consultant. But they have no they have no work experience. So they blast out their resume and you know exactly what happens happens. Nobody contacts them. Yeah. So they go to Harvard and they get a business degree. Then they sit for their CPA exam and next thing you know, they got people standing in line to hire them. That's what that's what these ISO things are. ISO 9001 and ISO 27001. I wasn't smart enough to get those. And I struggled and I wandered around the desert for literally years, you know, being 100% ineffective. And then um, I slowly over time figured it out. And But it wasn't until 2003 that I actually credentialed up. I started getting these credentials because I saw their value. Now, from 2013 to 2016, three and a half years, I went 350 million plus 
in prime contracts for my company. 350 million plus compared to the previous 10 years, and I had won 16.7 million. So, you know, I, I did a lot of learning in that phase. Yeah. So I, I ended up selling the company in 2016. I, I was a co-owner in a couple other companies. I sold those in 2019. I'm officially retired in 2020 and I realized how much I suck at it. I am really, I am really bad at retiring. So I realized I, I gotta do something. So I either want to launch another government contracting company which I'd already done a few times, or do I want to do something different and and kind of address the challenges that, that I face going through this process of launching a federal government contracting company? So that's what I did. I launched Government Contracting Academy because I want to help, you know, predominantly they're mostly vets, you know, who are coming out, they want to do something, uh, they want to have that second career, and they, they're, they're trying to be successful in the federal government contracting industry, but the whole world's out against them. You know, there, there's no training that's really available for them. Um, there's no, there's nobody kind of, you know, teaching them or showing them the ropes um, or helping them get these ISO certifications that can really be a game changer for their companies. So that's what, um, that's what I started doing uh, with Government Contracting Academy. It started out as training, and then I started getting into ISO uh, certification consulting because Without those credentials, it is really, really, really difficult to get market penetration when yeah. you have nothing on your corporate resume. You know, you have no work experience, no contract experience as a company. W- without that kind of, you know, uh, contract experience, you have to have corporate credentials. Yeah. So as much as I hate doing quality management paperwork, you know, I would say that that's probably about 60% of my job now. But it's what people need to be successful. Wow. And so what specifically, if like, how much does it cost to join Government Contract Academy or how does it work? Oh, well, this is how it works. Um, again, I'm a social impact company. That means, you know, I've, I've already made my money, you know, I'm doing this. But I also realized that, um, you know, change doesn't happen through nonprofit organizations because I've done that. And as soon as, as, soon as your hand comes off that crank where you're begging for money for, through donations, you know, uh, your impact goes away. So you have to be viable. So I am a viable company. Um, I am, a, I am making a very small profit that I'm, that I'm largely investing back into the company. Uh, but my, my primary purpose is to help again, veterans coming out and, um, um, you know, learn it's a training program and, you know, again, to get these credentials. So those are the two things that we do. We offer the training program, it's a it's a 12 month program. It's got 25 courses, over 150 lessons, hundreds of business tools, documents and all this kind of stuff. And I, I liken it to an executive MBA program that is 100 percent focused on the federal government. And um, it is 100 percent actual. There's no theory. We don't teach you accounting. We teach you how to write a winning pricing proposal that's going to make you profit. So that's the way I, I tell people. You've got to look at this thing. It's at the caliber of an executive MBA program. And in fact, we've got Harvard MBAs. We've got Wharton MBAs. We've got Columbia MBAs. You know, we have all these high-end, you know, you know, MBA students going through this program because they don't learn this stuff. So um, in an MBA program, so they go through like government contracting academy. Uh, so that program right now is on special for $5,000. But again, it's 12 months. Um, it's self-paced. It's online. 
What we do is um, I offer offer uh, office hours every single week. So if you want one-on-one mentoring, you got time and you know, uh, you know to do that. I do a live event, a Q&A event every single Wednesday at noon. Um, everybody jumps on and it's, I really like the Q and A events cause we get to know each other, you know, this student over here and this student, they get to know each other. Next thing you know, they're forming, they're forming a joint venture and they're going after work together. So it's, it's kind of collaborative. And so I really like that piece of it. Yeah. And then the second thing that I do is again, the ISO certification. Now everybody, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you the price and you're, everybody's going to say like, Whoa, you're gouging people. So I'm going to tell you how much it costs on average. All you have to do is Google total average cost ISO 27001. And the very first thing that's going to pop up is on average, the total cost to obtain ISO 27001 information security management certification, $40,000 for the prep, you know, for the consulting and training and $15,000 plus for the audit. So 45,000, excuse me, $55,000, 40 plus 15 for the audit. I provide my most popular program with with respect to ISO certification cost 20,000. You get ISO 9001 and ISO 27001 and I pay your auditor. So for less than half of the total average cost to get ISO to get one of those, you're getting two of those. Wow. So and it really only again, takes one contract to pay for it all. I mean well, yeah, you got to look at it that way. It's like if you were launching a fast food restaurant, you'd drop $1.5 million large, you know, into it before you flipped your first burger. Yeah. The cost of competition, market competition in this industry is so low. Basically, it's a website, business license, and a decent printer. So that, because that's so low, it gives you the ability to invest 20 grand in corporate credentials. And if you're, if you're willing to make that 20 grand corporate credential investment, then, you know, you really truly do have the ability to go out, you know, uh, win $350 million in prime contracts and, you know, be done, you know, create generational wealth where you don't have to worry about it. Wow. How do we find government contracting Academy? Uh, website is gcacampus.com. gcacampus.com. Yep. All right. Well, Randy, unfortunately we're out of, uh, we're out of time. We're a little over time, but, um, yeah, great podcast, great information. I mean, direct to the point, good practical info about, uh, <laughs> government contracting and you have the Academy and all and the other ISO courses to back it up. So, um, phenomenal, good information. Um, really appreciate you being here and uh, sharing your veteran entrepreneurial success. Story. Well, I, I tell you, Joe, um, if there's one thing I can like end this on, you know, you veterans out there, ask this question. If not you, then who is more qualified to be successful as a federal government contracting company owner? That's awesome. Well, I don't need to ask my next question because you already answered it. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, Randy. Okay, well, again, Sean, thanks for sharing your story and your expertise. Thank you so much, Joe, for having yeah. me. I really appreciate this. All right. These two veterans are Oscar Mike. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike.